You know, uh, we're in our series called Am I Missing Something? And over the next couple of Sundays, I'll be addressing one of the most difficult aspects about following Jesus. And that's this. It's learning to trust His ways over my own ways. Right? Don't we find that to be the most difficult part about following Jesus? Is learning to trust His ways over my own ways. You know, I have, um, I have stubbornness inside of me. And when I look at my own ways that I have in my own habits, uh, even in the smallest things, I realize it's really hard for me to trust other people and their opinion or their invitation saying, hey, why don't you try it this way? Because I have my set ways and I find that even in the small things, I have a hard time allowing other people to suggest a different way to do it. And one of the things that I see that play out in is in my marriage, my marriage with my wife. I don't want to embarrass her so much, but I will embarrass her at this time as I embarrass our relationship. You know, one of the things that uh, my wife and I, we often fight about, and this is such a trivial matter, is actually how we wash the dishes, right? So I do it very slow, very meticulous, making sure everything is pristine, getting all the crumbs out, making sure all the dishes are perfect, and then that's how I do it. My wife, she's fast. She's kind of recklessly fast. And so in my mind, there is no possible way that those dishes can be really clean in terms of the speed at which she does it. So if we're finding that, my wife and I, we're finding that you know, we're having even trouble and I'm having trouble learning when she says to me, Eddie, why don't you speed up a little bit? Why don't you waste a little less water and do it a lot faster? Why do you have so much time to do the dishes? And then I say to her, why don't you care about cleanliness, right? And why don't you care about being, uh, doing a deep clean on the dishes? If we have even trouble in these trivial, trivial areas, how much more do you think that we would find in more important matters in our life. But don't worry, don't worry about us all because I'm a pastor and because I'm a pastor and really honor God's word, I always use God's word to direct me. And so in those moments when my wife and I, we have a disagreement, I just open up my Bible and I turn to passages like we have today in Isaiah 55 and I speak it over her. And I say to her as we have a disagreement about dishes, I say, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And yeah, I know that's really bad to have that kind of a mindset. But here is the problem that we face. In a lot of these important decisions that we are called to make in our life as we follow Jesus, it's this. When we become so set in our ways, so set in our routines, so established in our logic and how things should be, it becomes harder and harder to really trust God's way for us. And so even though we are Christian and we say that we are following God, we're really just attributing and we're giving this tokenism of God, you are Lord, but when it comes to important decisions, I'll make it. And I'll just ask you to bless my decision. So really, we're just living our own life still with ourselves as our own Lord, and we're just asking God 
to bless my decision, what I think is right, what I think is best for my life. It's really hard to trust God. And the, one of the reasons why is because sometimes trusting God, it doesn't seem to make sense. Sometimes God's ways seem a little bit too legalistic. And sometimes God's way seems outdated. We feel like it's, it's back then that it worked, but it wouldn't work today. It doesn't make sense in today's context. I find that a lot of us, when we're trying to follow after Jesus, we all have a particular area, that one area of our life where we find it hardest to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus in. Some of us, it might be money matters, right? With our finances, we find it really hard in finances to trust Jesus. Sometimes it's in relational matters, in who we hang out with, in who we date, in who we want to pursue for marriage. We have a harder time trusting Jesus in there. And some of us, it's our career choices, what we do in our careers, what we're called to do in that, and how our careers actually leads our free time. We have a hard time trusting Jesus with our career as well. So today, uh, we're continuing, as we continue in this series, Am I Missing Something? I want to explore two pitfalls that keeps us from experiencing the blessing and power of God's way over our life. So when we actually follow God's way, I want us to see the pitfalls that keeps us from experiencing His power and His presence over our life. And so I want to read from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 11, as our foundational verse uh, for today. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The first pitfall that I want us to recognize in following God's way over our way is this. It's the failure to recognize our place. The failure to recognize our place. What do I mean by this? Well, when you look at verse 8 in Isaiah 55, he says this, God makes it absolutely clear. I want you guys to get this, he says to his people. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. See, God wants to make sure that we understand the foundational nature of our relationship with Him. He is God and we are not. This is not an equal relationship. He is the sovereign God and we are not. You know, a lot of times we forget that. We focus at times on the relational aspects of God. That about his compassion towards us, about his understanding towards us, about his grace towards us. And alongside of that, we sing these emotional songs that that seem very relationship-y, 
right? That talks about love, you love me, you, you accept me as I am, you welcome me into your presence. And we sing all of these songs. And in the midst of this, we forget that sovereign aspect of God's lordship. We can never have the error of forgetting who God is. He is God and we are not. You see, brothers and sisters, when we forget our place, it's easy to assume that certain things about God and assure ourselves that God is cool with it. Right? It's easy for us in our own mindset to assume certain things about God and to feel like, yeah, God, you'll be cool with it. For example, hey God, my Sundays got really busy and because it's busy, you know, I got all this other stuff to do and, and, and I got to do this and I'm not feeling really up to it right now. So you understand, right? Because me and you, buddy, buddy, right? Uh, thanks God, you get it. I'll be back next week or whenever I have time. You see, when we have this kind of like very nonchalant nature in our relationship with God, it's so easy for us to misassume that we have this kind of equal relationship, but it's not. We have to remember God is God. Our thoughts aren't His thoughts. Our ways are not His ways. And we can't continue our relationship with Him in this kind of framework. See, Isaiah, he mentioned this tendency of the people's hearts. When we look earlier in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, this is what uh, God says of his people. He says, these people, they come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, this is where that tendency comes from is when we, when we misassume that relational divide that's actually there, that he is God and we are not, and we see ourselves on equal standing, with our mouths, we declare that you are Lord. With our, with our lips, we confess that, yeah, you are the sovereign and you are awesome and there's no one like you. But our actions, what our actions show is our hearts are far from that reality. We don't really believe in our hearts that God is God. We just see him as a good teacher or a good advisor or someone that offers better suggestions. But it's not a suggestion. It's a directive that God gives us. You know, the rationale that a lot of seasoned churchgoers that I found, they use and that they will say uh, whenever they make excuses for themselves or whenever they say, I'm too busy for this, but God understands. It's basically this. Basically, they say this. Hey, you know what? I can skip church on Sundays. And the reason why I do this is because I know that faith is more than just a Sunday routine. And when they have this mindset, they said, so that's why. Is that that makes sense, right? God wants my faith to be more than just a Sunday. So don't legalize it for me, Eddie. Don't force me to go and, and make me feel bad that I'm not there to worship on Sundays because it's an everyday thing, right? And that's the kind of assumption that we put in. But here's the problem with that thinking. The problem is this. If we are able to so easily dismiss our promise with God, the sovereign God to say, on this time of this week, I'm, I am giving you that space, God, to honor you because you are worthy of my worship. 
if it's so easy for us to dismiss that because other things come up, come, um, come up on our schedule or we just feel tired and we treat the sovereign Lord in this way, how much more easier is it then to dismiss God in our everyday? This is why we have to be careful of the way that we use certain rationale and certain thinking and thought processes to kind of uh, become our excuse to live our life our own way, in our own convenience. You know, there are times that we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives because we put equal or more weight to what I want in this relationship, to what I want out of my life. This is why God tells Isaiah to remind the people, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. In fact, God goes into even more detail in case we miss this point. Because even after that, and it's clear in that, he continues and he says, As high as higher as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways from your ways. Basically, he's saying it doesn't even compare. There's an infinite divide from where you are to where I am. You cannot possibly comprehend all the complexity that I see and how I'm leading your life and why I direct your life in the way that I do. Because I am infinitely more higher. It doesn't even come close. It's not that he's a little bit more better or his suggestions may help our life a little bit more. No, it says it's infinite of his comprehension of all things compared to what we see. So even in Peter, we see just how easily we assume our thinking is on par with God's thinking. Remember in Mark chapter 8, uh, it's around in verse 29, Jesus asks Peter, who do people say I am? And some people say, oh, he's like a prophet. He's like, uh, he's like John the Baptist. He's like uh, Jeremiah or one of the um, uh, other people. And and as they are declaring who they think God is to them or who Jesus is to them, he then asks Peter, well, what about you, Peter? Who do you say I am? And Peter gives the right answer. What he says is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or in the Mark passage, he says, you are Messiah. But here's the interesting thing. If Peter declares with his mouth and he confesses with his lips you are the sovereign Lord. You are the Christ. You are God with us. Right when he does that, then how is it that in the very next passage that comes after, and Jesus begins to gather his disciples to share with them, this is what is to come. I will be captured at the hands of men. I will be tortured and I will be crucified by my own creation. And I will die. When Peter hears this, he doesn't like it. He feels like God's plan isn't the right plan. This isn't the right way. And so what he does is he takes God. He takes Jesus aside. And look at the word that he uses. It says this. He rebukes the sovereign Lord. Can you imagine that? God is right there. And God announces to one of us, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm sharing my plans with you. And then when we hear it, 
And out of our great wisdom, what we do is we take God aside and like, mm, nah, 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 no, God, I think you got it wrong. You know, maybe you didn't think it through too much, but let me suggest a better way. And you rebuke. He's like, that way sucks, God. That's, that way, no way. That's, I don't think you've really thought this through. That is not the way that we should go. You see, this shows just how easy it is for us to forget our place with God. As unbelievable as that sounds, where Peter rebukes Jesus for his plans, how many times do we ourselves get a sense of God telling us one thing, but we just shrug it off and we say, nah, God, thanks for that advice, but I'm just too busy with work. God, that's so good, right? But my life is just not in that place right now. God, thank you so much for sharing that stuff with me and leading my heart in that area, but I just don't feel like it right now. Or God, you know what? I want to follow you, but at this time, that's really not what I want. You see, with our lips, we keep saying that he is God, but our hearts are actually far from that declaration, from that reality. I think this is why, and this is part of the reason why, the solution to this is where God places us in community. It's in community where he says, you have been gathered together to be one body. In order to be one body, we can't all just be all individuals with our own separate thoughts and ideas and pulling in our own directions. We are called to function together. And part of that function together means this, we have to discern together what is God purposing for us as a community to go forward in? Now, as we do this, our ideas will be different. Our thought processes will clash. But this is part of the process of bringing humility to our own thoughts. You know, he places us in, uh, in community partly for this reason is to teach humility in our own thinking. To realize my ways and my thoughts may not necessarily be the best or the overarching thoughts that everyone else has. It teaches us to think beyond and to appreciate other people's contribution. And when our, when our minds and our hearts becomes sharpened by that, becomes pruned by our community, it's a humbling fact. And as it humbles us, this helps us to become more attentive to what God has to say to us. This is part of the reason why he places us in community. To prune us of that pride and that stubbornness of my way is best. You know, we see the same thing again when we use Peter. We see the same thing happening with Peter. Even when he thought his way was best, and even though he had all the right intentions of following God, in Acts, as the early church is established, his heart was, God, I want to follow you. He had all the right intentions, but part of his thinking was wrong. Part of his thought process, he, he didn't see a bigger picture. So when he has this vision of all these unclean animals being lowered on a blanket in Acts chapter 10, his his assumptions come out, God, I will not eat anything unclean. And God tells him, don't call things unclean that I have cleansed. And then he meets Cornelius and one of his frameworks and paradigms is broken. He always thought that non-Jewish people were somehow 
inferior, less deserving of God's presence, of God's grace, than the Jewish people. But when Cornelius comes to him and he recognizes that God does not show partiality, this is where in community, Peter's mindset is humbled. It's pruned. See, it's through community that Peter learned that he was mistaken in his ways and his thought process, where he realizes God's ways is higher than my own. Now, here's a second pitfall. The second pitfall that keeps us from experiencing the blessing and power of God, of God's way in our life, is this. It's the failure to accept suffering as part of God's plan. It's the failure to accept suffering as part of God's plan. Now, there are a few chapters that lead up to Isaiah 55. Before he says this wonderful, uh, um, this poetic uh, verses in Isaiah 55, 52 and 53 preceded. And in chapter 52 and 53 in Isaiah, he talks about what they called the suffering servant, this unveiling of God's plan. And he says this, he basically says that God will raise up a suffering servant whose life in that suffering will result in not only glory for that servant, but also glory for other people. But in order to receive that glory, in order to receive all of that fulfillment, the road that leads to it involves oppression and suffering. See, when Peter heard this, remember when we skip over again to Mark chapter 8, and Peter hears the same plan repeated, and Jesus makes known to Peter, I am that suffering servant, right? And God has appointed my life to go in this way, not so that I just suffer for the sake of suffering, but that this is the only way that actually brings glory to all of us. When Peter hears this, he doesn't like hearing that. For his mindset He's thinking this, how is it possible that a good God who is all-powerful can allow his obedient people who only want to serve him and who only want to do what is right to allow them to continually suffer and to go through oppressive things? If he is good, isn't the whole point of having an all-powerful good God to avoid suffering? to avoid oppressive things, to avoid hardships in our life. You see, that was Peter's framework of how he understood his relationship with God. God, it doesn't make sense that I serve a holy and an all-powerful God who is good but allows me to suffer. And this is why he rebukes Jesus and that's not the version that I want. Because if you have to go through that way, that means that I have to go through that way. And I don't want that for my life. This is why Jesus rebukes Peter in Mark chapter 8, verse 33. And he says this, But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. He says, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see what's happening there? 
there's that difference that is happening where he's saying, your mind is not my mind. Where your mind it focus on is just merely human concerns. That is his focus. Saying all you're about is your own issues. You know, a lot of times when we go to God, isn't that true that most of our engagement with God is about my issues, about my human concerns? You know, I just want my path to be a little bit better. I just need a little bit more money. I just need this to go better for my life. Isn't it true that we don't have a bigger picture in view, just our own conveniences? You see, for us, this naturally makes uh, make sense of our, in, in terms of our thinking that if we have a God that is all-powerful, that is good, then He should lead us in a particular way. He should give us a life that is peace-filled, that is, that is free from issues. Because our perspective is based on my agenda. I want my life to be easier. I want my life to be better. But look at the second half of Isaiah 55, of the passage that we read together in verse 10 to 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What God reveals to Isaiah here, he's just saying the suffering isn't the point that he gives it to us. Basically saying, hey, I'm not just making you suffer for the sake of suffering, and that's what religious holiness means. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, the reason why you're going on this path, the ultimate reason is this, so that you may be fruitful in your life so that you may be satisfied. As my word goes out, it never returns to me without fulfilling what I have appointed it to do. That's the promise that he gives. See, when he tells us to follow him, a lot of times we just hear, deny myself. A lot of times what we hear is pick up my cross. A lot of times what we hear is just suffering after suffering. But that's not the point why he says to follow him. He says to follow him because he ensures and he promises that the highest good that he has planned for us, it will take place in the way that he leads us. We need to trust him. The reason why we experience suffering is because we just live in a broken world. The broken world that we live in wants to do everything possible to keep us from experiencing a fulfilled life. You know, Satan being the prince of this world, He wants us to continually pursue other things that give us temporary glory, but always at the end leads to an emptiness of our spirit and a death to ourselves. What God promises instead is as we follow him, and even if it's a road marked with suffering, he says this, it will water your soul despite the suffering. It will restore your life despite the oppression. It will bring you the greatest joy you've ever experienced. He rounds that off in verse 12, and he, and he makes clear that we get this. 
by saying this, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That's his promise. As you follow me, yes, you will suffer. Yes, it will be oppressive at times because we live in this broken world where Satan is our oppressor. But here's the thing. It will result in joy and you will be led forth in peace. See, God's intention isn't to bring us suffering, but it's his intention is to initiate his glory to be at work in our life. See, brothers and sisters, God doesn't want us to miss out on what he is doing and what he is bringing to completion in each one of us. And in order to do this, we need to heed these two pitfalls in our life. The first one, failing to know our place as we follow God, to assume that our ways are his ways and it's acceptable. And secondly, is failing to accept suffering as part of God's plan to lead us to experience the goodness that he wants us to have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time where we can gather together, we can hear your word, and we can allow it to sharpen us. We can allow it to reframe us, Father Lord, and we can follow you in a way where we experience who you really are, not forming you into an image that we want you to be, but to really experience the true you, may we experience what it means that you are the sovereign Lord. And I pray as we trust you with that and we entrust these bigger decisions in our life to you and we're willing to go through whatever that path leads us in, may we experience your joy, may we experience your peace, may we experience your fulfillment. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.